If you have a way to see God's Word, go ahead and look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. You know, um, I am so glad to, to know that there are people in our church family, and I know there's many more than those that, uh, that Corey acknowledged here this morning. But I guess the biggest thing is I, I'm so happy that, and glad that our children are loved, our students are loved by those who work with them. And, uh, y'all, that's, that's really what it's all about, giving them the gospel and loving. And uh, these people do it in a powerful way, and I sure do appreciate them. Revelation chapter 20. Well, we started this series um, like this. According to Scripture, a world of sin, evil, and wickedness leads to despair, suffering, hopelessness, and eventually death. That's the reality in which we live. So the question then becomes, what is the answer to this condition? Philosophy says we need to think better. Religion says we need to do better. Sociology says we need to get along better. Dictators and politicians say, follow me to the better. All attempting to create utopia, the ideal perfect state or place. But that's not possible in this world. And the reason for that is, and this is what we discussed on the very first Sunday we opened this series. We fail from perfection. Mankind fell from perfection there in the Garden of Eden. And so therefore, perfection is outside of our grasp. Perfection is something that is beyond our current reality. Next, we were born into a world of imperfection. You were born into a family that, that had certain measures of dysfunction in it. You say, well, wait a second. You say I'm from a dysfunctional home. We all are from a dysfunctional home. We all have been there because we've born, we were born in sin, as I'm getting ready to say. But not only that, we're born in a society, into a people of sin. And, of course, we were born in imperfection. We can be saved, however, from imperfection. We can be saved from sin and suffering. And also, we can one day live in perfection. That is in our grasp, but not in this reality. And so the conclusion was, the only way to escape the sin, suffering, and hopelessness of this world is to follow Jesus to another, a place of perfection and paradise God calls heaven. And and that leads us to where we are today. Today we're going to conclude the series, The Better Place. And today we're going to be looking at the opportunities of this better place. So the reality in which we live now is going to be removed at some point. And if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will follow Jesus to the better place. But it is the perfected place, a perfected existence. How many of you think that would be pretty cool to attempt and try to live? So look at the introduction. Many have speculated and wondered what heaven will be like. Some have said, will it be boring? Will we work? Will we learn? What will the opportunities be in heaven? I can't tell you how many times I have people kind of ask me that question. And, And really from the question they're asking, they're basically saying, for eternity, what are we going to do? How many of you have thought about that at least one time in your life? What are we going to do in eternity? I mean, eternity is pretty big. 
I mean, you talk about living in this world 90, uh, maybe 100 years, but all of a sudden you're, you're throwing eternity out there. Can't even get my mind around it. Can't imagine what we are going to do. Well, the scripture gives us clues as to what we'll do in heaven. But the first thing I want us to talk about, look on your outline, is a, it is going to be a splendid place to live. Now, I'm going to review this because I think it's important. It's kind of hard to get our minds around, but there's different dimensions, I guess you could say, of heaven or different phases of the ideal heaven that we're going to be talking about. But before, there was a place called Hades, and we talked about this. Uh, there were two sides to Hades. There was a great gulf between the two. One could not come to the other. On one side, you had those who had no faith in God, those who, who were rebellious towards God. On the other side, you had those who had faith in God, who believed in the coming Redeemer, and that would be on the other side. One place is the idea of Hades, a place of torture. But the other side is also known as paradise. Paradise. Many people believe that Jesus, between the time of his death and his resurrection, went to that area and delivered those out of the area of paradise and took them with him. That's what many people would say. And they get the, they get the idea of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. But then, what is that? What is this place that they're carried to? Well, some people would say it's called the intermediate heaven, and we've discussed this. It's actually where the throne of God is. It seems to be the present heaven. It's a place we will go until the resurrection of our bodies. The immediate heaven is really a temporary stop on the way to a more permanent place. But let me tell you about this throne. This throne has always existed. But there we will be with God the Father, God the Son, and the whole uh, triune God. Now, it seems from Revelation chapter 4 that the throne of heaven is part, as I said, of this intermediate between. Then, after the intermediate heaven, what seems to be next? Well, then we're introduced to what's called the millennium heaven. Now, what is the millennium heaven? Well, we discover this in Revelation chapter 19. It comes at the end of the tribulation period, at the bar battle of Armageddon, when the nations of the world will turn against God's people, all of a sudden, Jesus is going to come back. The Bible implies we'll come back with him. As a result, at that time, he'll set up his kingdom in the world. So Jesus comes back, defeats the armies of the world, sets up his kingdom. Then we come to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. I want you to look at the very last part of verse 4. And it says, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So there comes this period of time that God blocks off, and this is where Jesus is going to rule and reign those who have followed him. The rest will, go, or, or will be held there in this waiting uh, room type situation for the final judgment. That's what he's talking about here. Then he says, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who was a part of the first resurrection. That group that, that goes with Jesus. It's there with Jesus serving and reigning. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. But then, after this millennium heaven, the Bible says the enemy after this period of time, is going to be eternally bound. 
The lost after this will be eternally condemned. Those who have no faith in God, who've never trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, they will stand in condemnation and they'll go to the everlasting torment. Now, what happens to those who have a faith in God, who have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Well, then we go into chapter 21. In chapter 21, we have what appears to be the eternal heaven. In Revelation chapter 20, it seems we go from the end of time to the beginning of eternity in Revelation 21. So if you were to say, okay, when does it appear that time ceases to exist? It seems to be at the end of Revelation chapter 20 because then in 21, we know we enter into eternity, eternity. Now, Revelation 21 verse 5, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write for the words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, what takes place once we're in? And, and by the way, some of the things we're going to talk about actually also takes place during a thousand-year reign. But what does it look like when we start thinking about heaven? What are the opportunities? What awaits us? Okay? So we go from a splendid place to live to a satisfying place to live. Someone has asked this, as I said earlier. Won't it be boring to be good all the time? <laughs> How many of you uh, have kind of thought about that? Hmm, yeah, that's a good point, you know, that kind of thing. You know, when you think about that, it, it, we're really making a lot of assumptions when we say that. Note the assumptions that says sin is exciting and righteousness is boring. We have fallen for the enemy's lies. That's where we're coming from. His basic, his most basic strategy, the same one he employed with Adam and Eve, is to make us believe that sin brings fulfillment. That dishonoring and disobeying God brings fulfillment. So sin does not, does not create adventure. Sin's emptiness eventually leads to boredom and despair. When there is fulfillment, when there is beauty, when we see God as he truly is, then boredom becomes impossible, and then we experience an endless reservoir of fascination and satisfaction. So what's going to happen is we're going to be delivered from all these myths. We're going to be delivered from sin's arrest on us. All that will be breaking free, and we'll enter in to eternity. To eternity. Now, heaven by no means will be boring. Randy Alcorn, many of you have studied this book, writes in his book called Heaven. Here, here's what he says. I, I love what he, the way he phrases this. Our belief that heaven will be boring betrays a heresy that God is boring. There is no greater nonsense. Our desire for pleasure and the experience of joy comes directly from God's hand. He made our taste buds. How many of you are thankful for that? Our uh, adrenaline, sex drives, and the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains. He created all that. Likewise, our imaginations and our capacity for joy and exhilaration were made by the very God we accuse of being boring. And we are so arrogant as to imagine that human beings came up with the idea 
of having fun. Now think about that. Think about that. You know, when you start looking, and many of you have seen movies of Jesus. How many of you notice that the old movies of Jesus, he's solemn, he's walking around, and it's got the look on his face, you know, I am here, be blessed, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but the first time I saw one of those movies, I was like, this doesn't look right. Something doesn't jive here. Now, I know that Hollywood and many other people are trying to create their ideas of who Jesus is, and no one's going to perfectly create him and who he is. But the thing we got to understand is I like some of the more modern versions of what we're looking at because Jesus had a sense of humor. When you break down some of the things that he said and the way he said them and the timing of what he said, it's really, it's really fascinating to see the, the clever ideas that he had. Now, you say clever ideas. Come on, he's God. I know, but look at what he's doing. It's fascinating to me, the way he responded to people and the joy that he had and the fun that he had, even with those disciples. So here's what I want us to look at. This satisfying place, what, what, what's it going to be like? First of all, there's satisfying, satisfying resources. Look at uh, Revelation 21. Look at the last part of verse 6. He says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirst. Now, if you were to say, where do you get the idea that heaven is satisfying? It comes from this verse. Now, now, you say, well, well, how do you get there? Well, this verse implies, look on your outline, being content. Being content. How many of you have a hard time being content? It's difficult, isn't it? Contentment is difficult. Our current life and existence never seems to be satisfied. Solomon, King Solomon, Bible says, wisest man who ever lived, same to, came to the same conclusion about life. He shares in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's, he says, the things of this world did not satisfy. Now, this was not only the wisest man in the world at the time, but probably the richest man in the world at the time. And he had the resources to experience everything and many things that we don't have to experience. And he basically came away saying, I've tried it all, and none of it satisfies the deepest longings of who I am. He was trying to take the things of this world to fulfill an emptiness in him that only eternity could feel, that only God could feel. And, and here's what awaits us. What awaits us is what Solomon couldn't find. That awaits us. He said, Life just continued to breed more discontentment, whether he was talking about the sin avenue, the fascination avenue, whatever it may be. What he was looking for, he never found. But guess what? We will find it, the idea of satisfaction. The things of this world, we know this, does not, do not satisfy the heart. Accomplishment, power, greed, and wealth. The things of the flesh do not satisfy the heart. However, in the world to come as it relates to heaven, we will find contentment and fulfillment. How many of you, when you've had that brief moment of contentment and fulfillment, it just feels right, doesn't it? It's almost like we have these small glimmers of what will be eternal force in heaven. 
We have these small moments, these small pockets where we, we get caught up in the accomplishment of what we did or the contentment that we found. And for that brief moment, we have what will be the reality that awaits us. I don't know about you, but that's pretty exciting to me. That's pretty exciting when you think about it. Next, satisfying resources lead to being complete. You see, many are looking to this world to find something that will complete them. That guy, that girl, that phrase, you complete me. <laughs> that heart that brings the heart. There's a longing out there for that. There, there's, and by the way, there, there, there's that desire to have that and, and all this. But guess what? All this disparity, all this, uh, these things that, that don't bring true contentment in life and all these things kind of interfere with all that. So we think that if we have that special car, that certain house, that career, or maybe you fill in the blank of what you're looking for. The quench for the thirst of this world will only be temporarily filled. It will for a moment. That car that you go out there and you get, and you're so, whew, this is the one I've been waiting for. I got my 50-some car, you know. You let them grandkids get in at one moment, and it ain't what it used to be. <laughs> Speaking from quite the experience. <laughs> Jesus said to the woman at the well, you remember this? Whoever drinks of this water, they're going to thirst again. It's going to briefly quench, but there will be the need for more. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. Never thirst. That isn't in this world. It's the world to come, the world to come. Look again at Revelation 21, the last part of verse 6. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. That means that there, anytime, there's not even going to be a moment that I gather, once you read this in its context, the way the Greek's trying to tell us, it's basically saying there will never be a thirst in that place. It will always be met. Wow. That's pretty cool. In heaven, we will be both content and complete. The reason this world leaves us empty is because we were never intended to find full satisfaction. The world can't deliver it. Solomon said it. We're sitting here as testimonies who know it. It just doesn't do. But think about it. We just have those brief moments of heaven's complete reality. Next, heaven offers satisfying responsibilities. And, and we get clues of this in the garden. When you begin to see how what God told Adam to do in the garden, you begin to see some clues as to what we may be doing. So in verse 7 of Revelation 21, he says, And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. He's basically saying, the idea there are the things that were intended for, you were intended for. 
not your current reality, but the reality to come. Now, he who overcomes is one who exercises saving faith. That's the idea there, okay? So the first thing we're going to find is by reigning. We're going to have satisfaction and responsibility by reigning with Jesus. That's what the Bible says. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 26, it says, And he who overcomes and keeps my word unto the end, to him I will give him power over the nations. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now, many people believe. You remember when we started talking about the throne of God and we started talking about the different beings around the throne? And we talked about the 24 elders who sits on those thrones. And some people have guessed that's the 12 apostles, the 12 tribes. It's covenant talk. It's basically the covenants of God are represented in heaven. But then there's another group of people, including myself, who believe the 24 elders is really just a representation of all of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who will rule and reign with him. We will be there on those thrones, ruling and reigning with him. I can't imagine sitting there on that throne, and I think Gary's going to make it. And seeing Gary <laughs> over there, and we thought about all the tough things to manage in ministry, and I look over to him, I go, what's up? <laughs> he looks back at me and says, not a thing. Because what's up is normally the issues we're dealing with. You know? <laughs> but, but it's one of those things we're reigning. And verse 70 says this, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. Next, he says, satisfying responsibilities by serving, by serving. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, look here on the screen. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend and keep it. The idea, idea there is work and serve. There were responsibilities given to Adam before the fall, okay? So, work was not part of the curse. The curse, however, made our work difficult. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's always something, isn't it? How many of you heard people say, it's always something? It's part of the fall. It's part of the fall. There's not completion in everything. There's always, you do it. And you got to give it more time. You got to give it more time. You, gotta, you didn't anticipate this, but you got to deal with that. That's the depravity of this world. That's what this world sets us up for. The thorns, the insects, the fatigue, the difficult supervision, and co-workers. <laughs> got a nerve there, didn't we? Is your coworker in this room that gives you a hard time? Just, just look at him. Just find him. Glare at him. <laughs> Somehow in heaven, all that's going to be made right. What do you think about that? Ver Revelation 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God of the, and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants, what? Shall serve him. Serve him. Work in heaven, however, will not be a drudgery. It will be fulfilling and purposeful. I personally believe that our work and our serving will be an expression of our worship to God. I personally believe that. I, I believe it's there. I think the parables that Jesus taught seem to imply that. 
It appears that when we, the faithful servant enters heaven, he's not going to go on some retirement plan. No, no, no cloud floating. You know what I'm talking about? Sitting on the cloud playing the violin or, what, or harp or whatever they're doing. That's not an image from heaven. We don't get that image from heaven. No, there's a responsibility. All these things will come together. He said in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said this in the parable. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful service. You've been faithful over a few things. Now, where's this taking place? Right now. Right now. We're preparing for the reality that is to come in our service, in our work. In the way that we love people, in the way we serve one another, in the way we worship God, all this is a pruning ground for that which is to come. And then he says this, now I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You see, work and service will be a part of the experience of heaven. Work and service in heaven won't be fruitless uh, frustration. and Instead, it will involve lasting accomplishment and fulfillment, unhindered by decay and fatigue, enhanced by unlimited resources. That's pretty promising. I mean, how many of you have done something wonderful in this life and you, God gave you a moment and you just kind of sat back and thought, that's special. I mean, think about it. Could that be our worship to him even right now? It can be. He gave you the insight. He gave you the mind. He gave you the, the skill. He gave you this. He gave you that. And all of a sudden, it all came together, and you, you, and you took a step back, and you thought, wow. But boy, getting there can be tough, can't it? But you see, in the world to come, the frustration's gone. The accomplishment's there. The satisfaction is there. We see all this. So we, I think, will approach our work with the same enthusiasm we approach maybe our hobbies or the things that we like to do. It's not going to be, I guess I'll go out here and do something for Jesus. Just, we'll be running this stuff. I mean, this will be, just be, blow our minds. How about this? Satisfying relationships. We talked briefly about this before. Number one, with God. The second part of verse 7 says, And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Of course, he's talking about all of us in this. No longer will we be limited in our communion with God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed and we become like him, we will see him as he is. No more distance. How about satisfying relationships with others? God, and, and you may not realize this, but God has always promoted and desired that we have true, meaningful relationships with one another. He's always desired that. You say, how can you prove it? He created marriage. He created all these different ways that we can commune with one another. So why would heaven be different? So, so the best thing about relationships in heaven, and, and I say this all the time, is no more misunderstanding. No more misunderstanding. And then I got to thinking, and, and a couple of days ago, I got to thinking, I said, okay, what in heaven, I mean, excuse me, what in God's word reveals 
the true relationship that we'll find in heaven. And the thing I kept coming back to, many of you had it read at your weddings. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I really believe when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, and you look at that, that is the goal of relationships. This is the goal of satisfying complete relationship. I think it's spelled out right here beautifully. I think this describes what the relationships in heaven is going to be like because it's the epitome. Look at what it says. Love suffers long and is a kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. does not behave rudely. does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails when it's done like this. That's what it's saying. Have we truly tapped into every bit of this? We've had our moments, haven't we? We've had our moments. But guess what? Those other moments come too, don't they? But can you imagine the epitome of this in the relationships in heaven? How about this? Heaven offers satisfying refuge. No more living in fear. So some of us are like, you mean there's no fear there? Yeah. Some of you, you've lived in fear. You've lived in worry. You've lived in all these different things. And, and it's almost like, and listen, I understand there are some things that are out there that we're fearful of. But it, it seems like for some of us, we go from one thing that we fear to the next. It's almost like we can't live without it. We go from one thing to worry about to the next, to the next, to the next. What would it be like to live in a place or a reality in which that's not there? You see, this is, this is, this is mind-blowing stuff. We can't even think of an existence without those things. How do we know all this? Well, someone has said this. Someone has asked, and I thought it was a fair question, why does the new city that comes down from heaven have walls and gates? You ever thought of that? Walls and gates? What are we being protected from? I think, personally, that it's just one of those things that's there. You remember when you were a child and you had your blankie? Anybody have a blankie? What was it? Could that blanket do anything for you, really? No, couldn't do anything. But boy, it meant a lot to you. Brought security to you, didn't it? How about that stuffed animal? Our kids were very creative when it came to their stuffed animals. Jonathan's little security was a dog we named Dog. <laughs> Elizabeth, she had two. She had a, a chicken that we called Chicken. And a bunny we called Bunny. Now, she had to have both of those in her before we could get into the night stuff. You know what I'm saying? Get to sleep. And those things meant something. Mine, how many of you remember the big G.I. Joes? Anybody old enough to remember big G.I. Joe? When grandkids came along, G.I. Joe's this tall. That G.I. Joe can do nothing. You can thump him anywhere, okay? <laughs> big G.I. Joe, I was convinced. I even had the G.I. Joe that had the beard. How many of you remember G.I. Joe with the beard? Yes, sir. Boy, that was some good stuff. He's a big guy. He'd always 
swoon the Barbies in my sister's rooms. <laughs> he was the protector of the Barbies. He protected me at night. But where are we being protected from? Revelation 21. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. They're, they're removed. Walls and gates, beautiful decoration, but I think it's a reminder of the security we have in this place called heaven. Just like G.I. Joe, just like bunny and dog, or blankie, it's just to look over there and say, wow. How about this? Where, where, where are we? No threats. There's not going to be any threats there. there. There's no temptation. The walls and gates represent this protection instead of it being necessary, the walls and the gates. It's, it's just there. Can you imagine living a day without temptation or fear or insecurity? That's a description of what we're going to have. How about this? Heaven offers satisfying discoveries. Have you ever seen the fascination and awe of a child? Have you ever seen that? How many of you, and we talked about this before, you know, Christmas Day, you as parents, you couldn't wait. I mean, you look forward as much as your children did. And there's a certain age that they came in which you got to pick out everything they, that they needed or wanted. And, and all of a sudden, you set it out for them. You had it laying out there and everything. And, and they look at it, and they look at all, but what are they looking at all of? The box that came in, right? Not the toy that we thought would be so special. But I want you to think about it. a child when they see some, the fascination they have, the awe. The other day, I got to tell this story. I, I'm up here. I get to tell it. We were keeping our granddaughter. And so I think it was last week, uh, we, we were keeping her. And I got home, and um, uh, we saw that she was up, you know, Moms can't let their children sleep unless they can watch them on the, the phone. You know that. That's the new thing now. You know what I'm saying? And so we saw that he, she was up, and, and I said, can I go get her? Please let me go get her. You know, and so I go in there, and I walk in there, and she looks at me, and she starts clapping. <laughs> that meant more to me than any of y'all claps or anything. I mean, <laughs> Man, I was living there, and I picked her up, and I thought that was something special. I go in there, and Mom's sitting in there, and I said, she clapped with her. I said, she'll clap for anyone that will take her out of that crib. <laughs> I said, you believe that? I'm believing what I want to believe. <laughs> we know God gave Adam paradise to enjoy. In Mark chapter 10, it says, See that the little children come to me, do not forbid them. And then he says this, For such or is the reality of the kingdom of God. The children, their approach to the things of the kingdom of God, I take from that, will be our same response to the kingdom of God. Fascination, all will be there from us. 
And then Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Then one of the angels who, who had the seven bowls filled with the seven plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. He's basically saying, this is what God has prepared for us. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The description of this city that awaits us, this beautiful city, which will be the capital city of God's eternal kingdom, by the way, is described all the way to Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And I don't have time to do all that. We kind of looked at that the very first time we talked about this. But, but I want you to think about it. John did his best to describe it. But the discoveries of this, just this new city, this new reality, this new eternity will continue throughout eternity. God is big enough and we're small enough that our discoveries could last throughout eternity. Think about that. The discoveries. Uh, you, you, John Phillips, I love this guy. He's dead now, but he, he wrote this. It is impossible for us to imagine what the world must be like in the dawn of time when it was unspoiled by sin. Each day must have been a day of exciting discoveries for Adam. What a marvelous new sound, what marvelous new sounds and scents and sensations he must have experienced every day as he explored the, the vast wide world that had been entrusted to him to develop and rule. That's pretty good. Discoveries. So where are we going to be discovering? Satisfying discoveries in nature. I think nature, the discoveries in nature is going to be a big deal there. I really do. Uh, you know, it would be like experiencing the Discovery Channel, Animal Planet. We don't have to see it through the TV. We're not getting, we're out there. What's up, Mr. Lyon? Come on over here. I like taking a nap. Let me just kind of spread out right here with you. I mean, I know, it's, I don't know where it came from. But, but anyway, <laughs> but can you imagine that? I believe God desires us to explore enjoy his, and enjoy his creation. It seems, according to Romans 8, that even nature itself is expecting the removal and anticipating the removal of the curse that's been placed on this earth. They're even groaning for the coming of Christ. Another aspect of nature, the plant life. Can you imagine that, tending the plant life? I mean, I don't know. I could go on. Satisfying discoveries in the arts. In the arts. God gives us the ability. I want you to think about this. He's given us the ability to imagine, to create, to discover, and even to experiment. Biologists tell us, there's some who are walking away from this, but still there's a lot who hold to this, that we possibly only use 10% of our brain's capacity. Wow, what would it like, what it, would it be like to go the full 100? There's those who say uh, that, that possibly if we were at the full 100, we could talk to each other telepathically. I'm glad you don't know what I think of you sometimes. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I have fond memories of you all, and I'm not, I'm joking. Anyway, telekinesis, that means you can move stuff with your mind. 
I mean, some people go that far. They're trying to guess what it would be like. 100% capacity. Others said, we just seize up and die. <laughs> but, but what's amazing about this is what would that be like? What was it like for Adam and Eve before the fall? Was it 100%? Did that allow him to have conversations with the animals? I don't know. Whatever it may be is going to be a fascinating thing because we'll have full capacity. I believe we will learn Maybe I'm wishing here to play instruments. I think I'm going to play the piano pretty well. I'm going to sing. Boy, I'm, you know why God has not gifted me with singing in this life? I would be so proud of what I could do. Some of the guys, some of the people I know that can sing, that have the range they have, man, I'd be wanting to sit you all down to hear me sing all the time. <laughs> hey, come over here. I'll sing for you. I won't even charge you. I mean, I know how that works for me. I, I, I'm convinced that's the reason I can't sing. I believe one day I'm going to be able to sing. I do. And, 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 well, I'll move on. How about this? Satisfying discoveries in play. In play. Children like to play. Sports. Can you imagine playing sports where you don't care who wins? Some of you are sitting there saying, there's no fun in that. Somebody got to win. Sound like a bunch of liberals out there is what it sounds like. <laughs> wow. My granddaughter's clap meant more than that, by the way. Um, <laughs> no, but really, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. I think when we get to heaven, there's a lot of golfers in the room. I know you are. We talk about it. I got a feeling God's going to say, okay, there's more creativity than golf. I, there's some things I want to show you. Let's go ahead and get this out of your system. I think he's going to have a golf course there. And I think the only thing he's going to give you is a one iron. And I think you're going to get 18 hole-in-ones right in a row. And he's going to say, have you had enough? Can you do any better than this? And he's going to say, let's move on to something more creative. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Some of your golfers are like, I hate you. I hate you now. No. Because you've been thinking about playing golf in heaven. But what's the point? No more in drive. I mean, uh, no more in iron. I mean, how are you going to? Anyway, I'm moving on. Okay. <laughs> Eric Lytle. Many of you remember this name. He basically said God gave him the ability to run that he could feel his pleasure. He saw that as a way of worship before God because it gave him platforms to speak about God. Think about this. Satisfying, oh, oh, and by the way, uh, never mind. Satisfying discoveries in stories. John chapter 21, verse 25. You say, what could heaven, what, what could it be like? I believe there's going to be storytelling time. And there are also many other things that Jesus did would if they were written, written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. How about this? Heaven offers satisfying rest. Satisfying rest. I know a lot of people who get to the end of their days, and this is what you'll hear from them. I just want to go home. I just want to rest. I'm tired. I'm so tired. Heaven 
will also be a place of rest. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You see, rest from the depravity of this world and the suffering of this world and the pain of this world will all be removed. Will all be removed. So what is necessary for rest will be taken away. Bottom line, here it is. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We, we can't even put in the words. John did the best he could. John did the best he could to write down what he thought he was seeing. Paul kind of talked about it. But heaven, here's one thing you do need to know. Heaven will never be boring. It will be a place of opportunity where there are new discoveries, where eternity unfolds, where fulfillment, contentment, satisfaction, and endless joy are all commonplace. And so here's the application. Will heaven be your future reality? Are you heaven bound? Do you know for certain that you'll go to heaven when you die? The only way is to follow Jesus there. Follow him. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. Where's the Father? He's in heaven. But by me. The only way. And then secondly, will anyone be in heaven because of you being faithful to what God called you to do, to be a faithful witness to this world? Will anyone be there because of you? Because you put aside your fear, put aside all these things, and said, you know something? I want to see you in heaven with me. Is anyone going to be there because of you? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we're, we're not going to have a time of invitation. I, I took up too much time, but with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we're closing this series. Will heaven be your reality in the life to come? If not, you have the greatest need in this room to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want to invite you. See me. I'll be back here at the door. Or see another pastor or email us. You've got to make sure of that. Secondly, who right now is on your heart that if something doesn't change in their life, they are eternally hellbound? And you know it. Has God laid on your heart to share, to speak into that depravity in which they live? Think about that one person. What are you going to do about it? We've been given the commission to go tell, to tell about Jesus, about how sin can be replaced with the beautiful things that we found in God's word about heaven. Father, have your way. Father, we thank you for what you've done here today. Lord, we just pray that as we leave here today, Lord, that you would take our minds and our hearts and show us what you'd have us do going forward in light of heaven. The fact that there, there will be those things that, that we are determining in this life that will be part of the reality of heaven. Help us to get our minds around that. To think that there are people that you brought into our lives that we have influence over to share the good news with them that they could go with us. Or maybe the person sitting here today is just not sure that that is where they'll spend eternity. 
I pray today will be a day that you bring all these thoughts, bring all these questions to our mind, Lord, as we reflect upon the future. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it's taught us about your place that you're going to prepare for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here this morning.